0: Welcome to the podcast. It's the Nolan Podcast from National Oil and Lube News. I'm the editor, Matt Hudson. This is the second of a two parter episode that we put out, so if you haven't listened to part one, go ahead and head over to NOLN.net and check out the podcast page to get last week's episode. We're speaking once more with Joanna Johnson. She's the policy advisor for the Automotive Oil Change Association, the AOCA. we're talking about a report from the federal trade commission called nixing the fix and it's all about some of the tactics that oems might use to divert uh, service and maintenance toward their automotive service centers at dealerships and in this second episode of the two-parter joanna talks about some of the more technological aspects of the ftc report that really are on the cutting edge of how servicers interact with customers and their vehicles. We talk about telematics and how the right to repair movement really intersects with some of the data rights and data handling provisions that are in this report and more importantly it's all about how independent aftermarket shop owners can ensure access to that data so that they're able to work on uh, diagnostic codes and diagnostic information just like any other service center. Hope you enjoy! Uh, it's interesting at how many uh, different sort of issues going on in the automotive world intersects with this report because uh, it starts getting into, uh, as you mentioned, telematics and the data transfer and the data available on vehicles nowadays. And um, one of the other big findings in the report was that, you know, the independent aftermarket doesn't misuse data uh, where there is no evidence that that happens, you know, any more so than uh, a dealer would or a, an OEM repair. And so that's kind of the new horizon, right? Uh, The kind of next evolution of these uh, physical parts uh, time issues that you were talking about.
1: Indeed. Yeah, indeed. So now we're dealing with a couple of different things related to the computers in the car. Um, One is in-vehicle messaging. So that can be used to create a closed-loop service Scenario. Um, You know, if the OEM slash dealer, they're the only ones that have data about the vehicle, um, they can contact, you know, the driver immediately and just send them the message, maintenance required, visit your dealer. Right. And that's how they do it. And it's a command, it's not maintenance required. We'd love your business. You know it's not like that like you know we'd like you to come see us it's a command it says maintenance required visit your dealer um i think uh it's entirely possible that the most recent two generations on the planet uh won't think as much of that as everyone else does because they're accustomed to electronics going you know hooey all over the place and you know having problems and needing updates but all the rest of us you know we see that and we're like oh there's something wrong and this is the car. You know, I'm driving this thing, it's not a phone. You know, it's not my laptop, I gotta go do something. So um, we definitely argue that it's far more powerful for them to make that command in the car than it is even anywhere else. And of course, with when, when OEMs only have uh, the data, like no one else can get, the, really get into all the codes or how you know how the codes were set up with the car, then they're able to manipulate the situation to avoid discovery of defects. Because if they don't, if they don't uh, develop the brain of the car, this is just a for instance. Because think about it, um, like you do your laptop or anything else that you work with somebody has to create the brain. And so that brain has to be able to recognize, for instance, let's do an easy one. If a tire's flat, right? It's got TPMS and the TPMS is connected to the main telematics. And so the car has to know, it must know. Or even if you have a a tire that's suddenly leaking a lot of air, it's gonna tell you that right away, it has to. But somebody has to write that into the brain. The brain has to know that's a problem. So just imagine for a second if you've got a defective transmission, and you know that it's either defective or it's going to be really problematic, really trying for people.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So when you when you're writing the brain for that car, let's say the infamous Ford Focus and Fiesta.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: So right. So how else can anyone explain the fact that people could have all that stalling and shuddering and you know, scary, awful bucking behavior with those vehicles and go into the dealers over and over and over again and the dealers reported no trouble code, mm. okay? You have to write the brain to understand what's normal, conditions in the car and what's trouble. So the only way to explain there being no trouble code for uh, driving a little car that's acting like a bucking Bronco, right? How do you explain that? Well, they had to have written it to accommodate that behavior to begin with. So that's one way that you can hide a defect is you, you design the brain to not recognize defective behavior as trouble. Okay. And when you have, and at the same time, when you have a situation where there's, it's the, the car's acting up and I mean, scary ways that most of the times, when you see people going to the trouble to file a complaint with NHTSA, national highway traffic safety administration, it's because they stalled out at highway speeds Mm -hmm. out of the blue, just boom. And they're, you know, puttering, trying to putter safely over to the, to the side, to the shoulder, Um, they're usually pretty freaked out and it's a big thing. Now, if that car either limps to the dealer or gets towed to the dealer, they get there and the dealer says there's no code, there's no trouble code, and they can't diagnose it, like they can't replicate whatever the behavior was that the consumer's reporting. They say they, they can't replicate it. That means they can't diagnose. And now we get into a situation where the customer is going to be delayed in terms of how many times they have to make a repair attempt before they can avail themselves of Lemon Law protection. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and I mean, part of the underlying idea here is that having some of this data available in the same way to an independent aftermarket is that that's kind of a a reputable third party that you can go to that isn't an OEM-related dealer who can you know, maybe dig a little deeper into a vehicle issue, trying to identify, you know, what the underlying cause is. And that's not, uh, you know, this closed loop system within an OEM space that might be diagnosing or misdiagnosing or what have you, right?
1: Absolutely. And it keeps, you know, being able to get a second opinion, you know, an expert second opinion, is, it's critical.
0: And, uh, and of course, uh, most of your, uh, these listeners will know the right to repair uh, movement that we've been riding on a whole lot. And uh, um, a public ballot was passed in Massachusetts last fall. And um, I mean, that ties in directly to this issue is just who uh, can have access to the data that these vehicles are putting off and, and you know, on what platform and is it equitable to what the dealers are able to access and all of those issues. and. Um, it was just so interesting to see that take a, a, a large role in this FTC report.
1: Indeed, um, the these issues have basically merged. You know, they're not the; it's not there are nuances, for instance, to classic rights repair, and um, you know, versus um, the aspect of prohibited tie in sales and Magnuson Moss in general. But um, you know, they're 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 together now. I mean, they're they're wound together. Mm-hmm. because of the control that data has. And they're in court right now, you know, as we're recording this, they're, they're in trial right now. So yes, cross I've your heard fingers heard. for justice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, and I'll mention again, I think we, I, I mentioned that one of the other banner headline uh, findings in this report was on the data side was that the the OEMs could provide no evidence to say that, you know, uh, safety would be greatly hampered or or security, data security would be greatly hampered by kind of making some of this diagnostic data available to independent aftermarket. Um, Now that this report has been produced and sent to Congress, uh, obviously it's a bit of a waiting game for Congress to do something, but uh, I guess for you and the association, what is kind of the next step of action here?
1: Well, we are working with our closest coalition partners. Um, you know, These are the, the organizations that we have worked with um, for, all, for all these years on these issues in general. So obviously that's Auto Care Association and also Tire Industry of America, Service Station Dealers Association. And um, we'll, we will likely also draw in um, several more national groups Um, that are affected by this and hopefully also some consumer groups, but we are, we are already developing our next steps request letter to the federal trade commission, Mm -hmm. because, you know, that they said they're, they're now willing to step up on, you know, more enforcement, more education, you know, get into more concrete ways to, you know, make sure that the that the the playing field stays level, they're going to have to get into it. Because as I mentioned, like right at the beginning on that overview of like how we got here, that's a lot of bad behavior and really only a little bit of enforcement, mm-hmm. you know? And what we know now um, on the industry side is if you don't have enforcement, they're just going to keep going. So we have quite a few specific requests for them already. Would you would you like to hear some of our, the solutions that we are suggesting? I would, yeah, absolutely. Okay. We are going to request, um, and you won't be surprised by this one because we've gotten some laws in the state, uh, in different states like Massachusetts and let's see, Connecticut um, to mandate the disclosure of Magnus and Maus Warranty Act rights uh, so it has to be included.
0: Reporting on that.
1: Yeah. yeah, it has to be we want it to yeah. be nationally included at the time of vehicle purchase. That's a gimme um, that it should be in those documents. Um, we would like FTC to require automakers and authorized dealers to provide written notice of Magnus and Moss Warranty Act rights at the time. Any vehicle warranty repair is denied. And prior to undertaking any maintenance or repair that they claim to be is required as a result of prior vehicle maintenance with an aftermarket part or an aftermarket service provider, um, that t- the timing on that is, is crucial. People are in the middle of that. They don't, you know, they need their car back. Mm-hmm. Most people really need their car just to live, just to get around and get to work to pay for the car. And, you know, so they're in the worst position in the world when they're standing there you know, and faced with this dilemma. If, if they don't know in that moment that they have a right, they're gonna lose it. I mean, that's what happens over and over again. Um, we're also asking that uh, FTC add notice of Magnus and Moss Warranty Act rights and contract dispute resolution options like BBB AutoLine um, for vehicle warranty denial situations in FTC's online consumer complaint form. Okay, because currently it's an all purpose complaint form. And even when uh, you get to the point where you can check a box mm-hmm. to see if it's, a, if it's an automotive warranty situation, it's, they still aren't educating consumers at all in that moment. They still never say anything about it. They don't tell them what Magnus and Moss is. They don't tell them about their contract dispute resolution options that are pretty much mandatory now in all vehicle um, lease and purchase contracts. And uh, we would also like for them on that note um, to create a specific site just for automotive consumers where they can report uh, Magnus and related issues um, rather than forcing them to navigate that general complaint site. Um, we are very hopeful for that one in particular. Uh, and part of that also, part of that situation also is asking the Federal Trade Commission to work directly with the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration so that they have some connection, some direct connection in their complaint features. Obviously, FTC doesn't have any control over DOT, so we are going to DOT separately, mm-hmm. you know, at the same time. But you know, what I noticed from all the research is that the most important automotive complaints, including everything with magnetson moss, they show up over there at NHTSA. And I and, and NHTSA, if if they really are pushed by a consumer, I have a great example in writing on this. If they're really pushed by a consumer, like, hey, why don't you do anything you need to help me with this? The dealer is saying that, you know. They they can my my warranty is violated because I, just because I used an aftermarket filter I know that's not the problem I know this car's got a defect and NHTSA writes back we don't actually have anything to do with that type of enforcement hmm. okay they never say sir that's Magnus and Moss Warranty Act and it is enforced by the Federal Trade Commission you know they don't even give them a any kind of anything heads up they just say we don't do that
0: I just a no sorry.
1: Yeah. Sorry. And then they, they just, you know, wander away. The consumer just wanders away, you know, defeated. So those two need to work together. So we are asking them to do that. And then there's also, there's another kind of tie that I didn't mention so I saved it for this moment um, that we want to ask them to fix. And that is the brand product specification product tie mm-hmm. so we had the really obvious what we think are very obvious situations where an oem says um you got to use our transmission fluid okay just period it's just it's our transmission fluid you know it's our brand it's our brand transmission fluid and that is it mm-hmm. you know they don't tell you what the spec is they don't refer to it as a spec or anything like that they don't say you know or you know, whatever's equivalent with this other situation, like, uh, like in Dexos, where you have an either or. But but in recent years, like it's probably been, I guess, maybe even 10 years now, what they've switched to is having a brand product specification, except it's proprietary. And the only way you can access that is if you pay them to access it. And then you will have to get a license and or approval if they don't call it a license from that automaker hmm. in order to make and sell the stuff. And that, of course, makes it all more expensive across the board. And so what we realized is if the automaker is requiring a brand specification and they retain sole control over that specification, it's proprietary, sole control then we need to explicitly require them to acknowledge uh suitable for use they can that consumers can also use suitable for use Uh standard in the car and that is the suitable for use standard that's in nist handbook 130.
0: So that's so interesting. I mean, you had mentioned Dexos being a bit different, and that was what came to mind for me. Uh, Dexos is different because it, it has become sort of a an OEM spec that other oil manufacturers can, you know, craft an oil that meets that spec, right? Is that kind of what makes a difference? That's open for, you know, any manufacturer to make?
1: Well, they still, actually, they... I think they would unfortunately fall into the analysis I just made Hmm. that it's it is problematic in that they still retain legal control over the proprietary spec
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and that they they control the approvals and the licenses and all of that, and it does make everything more expensive. So on the one hand, that program has been going on for so long that as far as, I, I mean, I still think it is probably a prohibited type of tie and sale, but it's the most efficient one out there. I mean, it is working, but see, they also allowed, they also, but they also allowed an alternative spec. You know, it's really that they allowed the alternative mm. spec. For engine oil um, the api spec mm-hmm. i mean that that would be the out for dexos in this analysis that i just made but when you have sp- particularly transmission fluid and i haven't worked much with antifreeze but my colleagues tell me that antifreeze is an issue too but on the transmission fluid side they never have an out they never mm-hmm. have an alternative Right, it's the, it's the brand OEM spec or
0: nothing. brand, and you can only get it through, you know, an OEM-approved seller. Right. Interesting.
1: <laughs> so we want them to recognize that one too. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, uh, I just I want to recognize a, a couple of things here at the end of the episode, and that's just the uh, importance of shop owners and operators to uh, read up on these issues and, and pay attention to what your association is doing because. Uh, it's really shocking at the uh, technological advancements that you know are being put into vehicles just over a span of a few years and then a few years later they start showing up in your shops to get uh, maintenance service and um, it'll really change the way that shops interact with vehicles and the customers that drive them I think so um, I think it's just so crucial to uh, pay attention to what's going now going on now at the regulatory uh, space and See how that might affect your shop and I think the other thing I wanted to make clear was just that uh, <laughs> I guess to, to kind of congratulate uh, the work that the AOCA and that you've done it's I mean digging through owner's manuals and digging through uh, you know NHTSA complaints to uh, sort of suss out these these cases of um, OEMs really aggressively sort of trying to keep maintenance services within their sphere um, it's just you know, without the work of these organizations, you, you never know kind of what the environment might be like. So um,
1: well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. We're you know, we're we're glad to do it this is what we do. And this is definitely one of those uh, examples of don't give up <laughs> if you know if you know you're right about something, if you if you've got the evidence just because you know the agency or whomever, you know, doesn't react right away, just keep going. Um, is, would it be okay if I uh, tell everybody about the AOCA membership meeting that's coming up? Because that's, that's another, that's a place where they should come and, you know, get the, some of the latest information would be there. Sure, absolutely. I'll tell Okay, it's, um, uh, you know, under the, the circumstances, we all are still um, going to be meeting on Zoom. And it's Thursday, July 1st at 10 a.m. Pacific. And you can register at AOCA.org under events. Um, and we we hope uh, everyone will be there. We're very much looking forward to talking to you. Uh, we have just a mile a minute things going on, including this subject and uh, related issues. So thank you. And thank you, Matt, so much for having me here today and highlighting this work. So important yeah. for everybody to know.
0: Yeah, uh, you, you can expect to see more from us and, and certainly more from Joanna and the AOCA on, on the topic. but. Uh, We'll leave it there for now, so thank you so much.
1: Great, thanks, Matt.